is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 475, recorded on Friday, March the 13th, 2020. Holy shit, it's Friday the 13th. Oh my gosh, it is. I didn't even (laughs) notice that. (laughs) I forgot all about it. No, so did I. Uh, Life is rather crazy right now, so we aren't paying attention to the, uh, the notable days of the week, I guess. I guess not. So we're here to record about season 10, episode 11 of The Walking Dead, of course, but a couple of things I want to do just before we start. In case anyone is wondering what's going on, you may not have caught it last podcast. I'm currently on vacation in Florida, doing my best, trying not to get quarantined anywhere the way the world is going these days. Yeah, good luck getting back into the country. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, We don't come back until next weekend, but the plan is to drive as we you know drive back we drove down and then get back into canada hopefully all well not sick and unquarantined so so far so good but we've got another week to go the reason i mentioned that too is we had a bunch of listeners email in sort of making sure a everybody was okay and B, that, you know, we were actually on vacation and it wasn't ruined by things being shut down because half the planet seems to be canceled right now. And that's kind of a bummer. But even though Disney and Universal Studios here in Florida are actually closing as of the end of this weekend, we managed to get our time at Universal done before they did that. So um, did not ruin our vacation. Everyone was very concerned about that. But I'm happy to say that so far, that wasn't a problem. Um, But I also understand why they're closing things down, trying to, you know, stop the spread of this coronavirus that's going around. Yep. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty nuts. They're shutting everything down. They are. Sports leagues are all canceled, everything, you know, it's so, it's kind of a big deal. Um, Anyways, the other thing is I'm sitting here in an Airbnb in Florida recording in, uh, a rather small place and it's, I'm sitting in the, the bedroom that my kids are going to sleep in later tonight and they're uh-huh. out there, you know, watching TV and playing connect four or something like that. So hopefully the sound is okay. Hopefully there's not too much background noise, but if there is, I apologize and please bear with us for, I'm going to, I'm going to listen very hard for connect four noises. I, it's been a long time since I've heard connect four noises. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pay attention. Well, here's the funny thing. Like everybody knows what you mean when you say connect four noises, right? It's that well, yeah. plastic slappy sound that they make as they, as they knock into each other in the connect four slots. And then when you empty the thing, they all just crash out the bottom. So. Right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was, I was sort of maybe thinking about that, but then I was thinking about the yelling and the swearing and the throwing of the table. Oh, Cause that's how usually I, I played connect four was, uh, it was very ruckus. I suppose there's always that, yes. But (laughs) hopefully they can get along out there and uh, not want to kill each other. Yeah, don't even get me started on tic-tac-toe. Oh my gosh, that's a contentious game right there. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, uh, let's get into the show here so we can get it it put to bed and then get the kids put to bed. That would be great. Uh, And since we're not doing a feedback show this week, because it's already Friday and next week's episode airs in two days... Um, I thought I'd mention the ratings off the top here. 
for this episode of The Walking Dead, episode 11 of season 10, the ratings or the number of millions of viewers were only 2.93. Oh, man. That is the lowest of all time for the show. Well, what are people doing? Like, I guess they're uh, busy worrying about other not, stuff. I guess they're busy worrying about other stuff. But, you know, if people are stuck in their houses and they have no nothing else to do, you'd think they'd be watching TV, but... I or maybe guess, they're doing uh, stuff now, fully aware that they're going to be stuck in their houses for the next uh, number of weeks. So you might as well just let the let the shows stack up. Oh, maybe I guess. Yeah, yeah. they're saving it I up. I can for watch later. the show later. I've got to go run around all over town and try and find a roll of toilet paper, <laughs> which God, is the craziest I, thing. <laughs> yes, and I don't mean to make light of the situation by laughing, but you're right. People are sort of maybe doing other things, getting ready to be stuck in their houses for a couple of weeks. I don't know. Well, that, that's fine, but the only reason that toilet paper is scarce is because everybody thought toilet paper was scarce. It's, it's, it's circular and dumb. Just, <laughs> yeah. just chill. Most of, the, most of the world doesn't use toilet paper. Don't absolutely need it. It's nice, and it's, it's, it's really nice that for the last hundred years or so that it's been sp- splinter-free, but uh, it's not absolutely necessary, so everybody just chill a little bit. I mean, right. When it was made of birch bark, it was much uh, more difficult to use. Uh, Yeah. It was very sharp. At least uncomfortable to use. (laughs) All right. Well, having done all that, Jason, let's get into our recap of this week's episode of The Walking Dead. And the title, uh, because I'm here in the mobile studio, I'm unable to play the title read. So apologies to everyone who sent those in. But this week's title is Morning Star. Yeah. It sure is. Uh, (laughs) All right. So it begins with Beta. You remember Beta, he's chopping at a tree, and as the camera pans out, it turns out that he is, and a bunch of other whispers are harvesting sap from the trees. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, I, I had a hard time with this scene, because this, it, you know, he was chopping at the tree, which is fine and dandy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, uh, and then, and then the sap started, just all of a sudden started running, and it was making running water noises. And I'm like, come on, The Walking Dead. Really? Yeah. Really? Sap doesn't do that. Sap doesn't make <laughs> no. noise coming out of the tree. No. It's not a friggin' sap tap that you just, you, I'm sure you tap into trees and get sap, but it takes a long time and it doesn't make running water noises. It oozes and seeps. doesn't flow. Uh, no, that's true. And it takes a while to actually collect, collect a good portion of sap, I would imagine. I don't know. I would think so, yeah. Anyways, that's what they're doing. They're harvesting sap. At this point, it's not clear what for exactly, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Well, I now, assume they're making maple syrup. Well, I, I mean, mean, I I thought there was some reason, some food-related reason, of course, because that's the only reason I can think of for harvesting sap. But apparently there is another reason, and it becomes yeah. clear towards the end. Uh, we cut over to Alpha and Negan, and Alpha wants Negan to whip her arm with a stick, he does it, cutting her a few times, and then she whips him. So I guess now that they've had sex, the only thing left to do is whip each other with sticks. Yeah, and I thought this was interesting because that's what Beta used to do, right? So yeah, he's replaced Beta now as her whipping boy, but in the opposite sense. Like the boy that whips instead of the boy to be whipped. Right. When you say whipping boy is somebody you should whip, but in this case, the whipping boy is the person who does the whipping. Friggin' yeah. English, eh? Anyway. Uh, English uh, is so crazy. He, he's replaced Beta 
Uh, so I'm wondering if there's going to be a, uh, a power struggle there in the future. Actually, that's a really good point. I hadn't really thought of that until you mentioned it, but clearly, well, maybe not clearly, but that does seem like something they might be leading up to. If if he's replaced Beta, Beta is going to um, potentially be upset by that, right? Because he's no longer the right hand man. Uh, yeah, and I would, and I would, I would like him to have the name Epsilon. I think, I think that would be really good for him. <laughs> that would be good. I don't know if he'd like it though, but. Uh, it's an interesting dynamic we have going on here now. Alpha's sort of attached herself to Negan instead of Beta. And I think in a straight up, you know, hand-to-hand fight between Beta and Negan, Beta's coming out on top. It, well, it depends, you know, where's Lucille, right? If we get uh, yeah. Lucille back, then, uh, then you know, Negan's going to beat the crap out of him. Because, you know, good point. it's not Negan against... Uh, Beta. It's Lucille against Beta. That's a good point. It's a very good point. And come to think of it, Daryl nearly bested Beta in a fight too. And uh, um, he didn't have his crossbow with him at the time. So he was lacking his signature weapon, remember? Yeah. Interesting. And then Beta always has his signature, you know, massive knife, knives. Yeah, right? that's right. He, yeah, he, does he have one knife or two knives? It's Daryl that has two knives. It's Beta that only has the one big one. I think so, yeah. Daryl has the two one-in-each-hand knives, that's right. Uh, anyways, we cut to Beta walking with walkers and whisperers, and they're chanting, we are the end of the world. Camera kind of moves through the crowd a bit, and we see Alpha. She's chanting, we take them all. And then, uh, as the camera continues to move, we see Negan in the in amongst them with a whisperer mask on. So he's got uh-huh. his mask now, and he's part of the the horde i guess did he uh, did he make that mask himself or did somebody make it for him i couldn't tell you but i would bet he made it himself we've kind of seen him doing stuff like that right tanning yeah. hide and so on well it seems to me like in the world of the whisperers making your own mask seems like a rite of passage it would be a rite of passage or it would make sense to be a rite of passage so yeah uh, i'm a little i'm it's nice to see the surprise of Negan having uh, a whisperer mask, but I also would have liked to have seen the, the you know him making it. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we've we've sort of seen him doing things like that, but I guess there could have been a scene where we see him like complete it or something and and put it on his head for the first time. That would have been a satisfying scene. I think you're right. Yeah, it would, I mean, it's a choice. I I, I respect the fact that uh, you know they made a choice. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, Cindy in Columbus, Ohio writes, holy crap. So I'm watching The Talking Dead, AMC's show, and Greg Nicotero and Norman Reedus are on, and they just said that Negan's Whisperer mask was made from a cast of Norman's face. (laughs) So, like, does that mean anything, or did they just decide to use Norman Reedus's face for, for that mask for some reason? Well, maybe they had the cast on hand. Right? Maybe there's like, oh, oh yeah. shit, we got to make a cast. Oh, we got one of Norman. Let's fuck it. Let's just use that. We got that one here already. Let's just go for it. No one will ever notice. <laughs> exactly. Until we tell everybody. Yeah. All right. So after the opening credits, we come back and Eugene is up in his radio tower. He's searching for a record, like a music or, you know, vinyl record. Uh-huh. And he's chatting with Stephanie on the radio. She asks him to sing the song he's looking for, but he won't. They end up chatting about shooting stars, 
and how many they've counted. And then she mentions the satellites. And Eugene realizes that she saw the satellite that crashed near them, so they must be fairly close together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this gets Eugene all excited. He reveals his location as Virginia. And Stephanie, on the other end, reluctantly, I would say reluctantly, agrees to a face-to-face meeting, providing that Eugene promises to keep it a secret. Yeah, don't so, tell anybody. And, uh, you know, typical meeting in a bar for the first time, blind date kind of thing. Uh, you know, don't tell me what you look like. I'll, I'll walk into this bar at this time. If you're already there, just check me out. If you don't like what you see, just leave. Right. That's what he says. He's like, stay hidden away. And if you don't like what you see, you can bug out and I'll just, I'll just assume that it was, uh, never meant to be. Exactly. <laughs> Poor guy, <It's> nice. man. <laughs> it's nice. Ah. Of, it was nice of Eugene to suggest that though. But, uh, yeah, but I, it was, but it's also, you know, uh, telling of his character, right? He's sure. not very self-assured. No, no, that's very, very true. Um, He's just so desperate to go out and, and meet her, though. I mean, he's clearly in love over the radio with her, so he'll do anything to get her to come out, and hopefully she'll like the looks of him. And you, But you know what? There's so few people left in this world. I mean, you can't turn down an opportunity for love, I don't think. Yeah, and I think he might even be trying to sabotage this, because he strikes me as the kind of guy that uh, falls in love with unattainable people. Right. So he kind of thinks that, uh, that she's unattainable because she's just a voice on the radio. So obviously he's going to fall in love, but, uh, you know, what happens when that, uh, when it becomes real, when it becomes, you actually meet, he gives her so many outs, you know, if you want, I can do this and you can just leave. Uh, you know, so he's, he, he's still so kind of sad, even though he he's is. Uh, finding love. I suppose though he's desperate for the, the opportunity, for the chance, right? He'll do anything just for the chance of meeting her and her not running away, you know, in horror. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a bit sad, but I, I, I really want Eugene to find someone now. I feel bad for the guy. Why? Uh, well, he, he clearly has some love to give and no one's reciprocating so far. Yeah, it probably seems pretty normal for his entire life. Okay, poor guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, outside at Hilltop, uh, Alden and Earl are working on something. They see the group coming from Alexandria, including Gamma slash Mary. As they come in, Earl refuses to let her see her nephew, which is now his son, or he considers him his son. Yeah. Alden agrees with this and says that she can only see Alex. She can't see Adam, who's the kid. Um, So Alex, if anyone was confused, is the doctor at Hilltop that um, was referred to last episode who Rosita was going to see. So Alex is a character that we haven't seen on screen that much, mostly just in the background, like tending to people. But he is the doctor that is sitting there at Hilltop and currently, I think, the only doctor on the show right so he's dead soon well so he'll be dead soon for now he's alive though uh we go over to ezekiel who goes to find carol turns out she's hanging out at daryl's old camp and you know says he heard about what happened you know back at the the mine and he asks her to come back with him to the camp because she can't just live out here on her own that's not very fun it's the shittiest camp in the world too I mean, take a few minutes. If you're going to stay here, take a few minutes and build a decent shelter, 
right? Don't just live, uh, sleep in a, a ta- under a tattered blanket. That's not yeah, going to do you any good. No, but I think, I don't think Daryl's really lived there on his own for a long time. So it's probably all run down and maybe Carol just got there thinking that she'd move, move in and fix it up. That blanket was like that when Daryl lived there. Well. I swear to God. Okay. It, it is Daryl. He's not, maybe not known for his, uh, you well, know. Why put it up at all? If you're, if it's not going to do you any good, it's just this tattered thing that doesn't, it, it's kind of sad, you know, lean some branches up against there, build a, you know, pile, pile a bunch of leaves and, you know, crawl into it at night and be better off than sleeping in this fucking thing. Well, yeah, you have a good point, but I think Daryl has low standards and Carol maybe was going to fix it up. But, uh, Ezekiel comes, convinces, convinces her to, you know, come back to, uh, to Hilltop with him. Right. Uh, we go over to Luke. He's talking to Kelly and Yumiko. Kelly, of course, wants to go out and look for them or attempt to rescue them. And by them, I mean, um, Connie and Magna who are stuck. And Yumiko starts wondering what the last thing Magna said was. Um, but Kelly won't entertain this thought because it seems like that's the kind of thing you'd ask if you think they're dead. And she's not into right. that. Okay. Daryl and Lydia ride up, say they need to talk. Uh, Luke sort of reiterates that they, he wants to go rescue their people. But Lydia says they can't go out there because her mother is coming. Or as she said it, my mother is coming. Yeah. <laughs> So, the mother of all mothers. The coming. mother of mothers is coming. So it's too dangerous. We take a commercial break and return uh, Rosita. She comes up to Eugene's radio tower. She hears Stephanie on the radio and actually responds, um, which is not good. Eugene comes down the ladder from, you know, the upper, upper level. And, you know, of course, he knows that nobody else was supposed to hear Stephanie he snaps at Rosita about making him break his promise. He sends her away angrily, and then he tries tries to tell Stephanie it was a mistake, but there's no response. Rosita obviously was fucking with Eugene here because he was coming down the, the down the ladder saying no, 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 and she turns her back on him and goes, "Hello, hello, who's this?" Uh, so obviously she knew that Eugene was saying no, don't talk on the radio, but she did it anyway. So she's totally fucking with him. You think so? Like, I mean, if given the circumstances they're in, don't you think that communication with a new unknown person would be potentially valuable? And like, she wasn't there like doing it on purpose to hurt Eugene. I mean, she doesn't know that there's a, there's an agreement between them to keep this secret. She's excited about hearing a new person. I don't, I don't think I blame her for that. Okay. Imagine if you will, uh, (laughs) I'll try. I come into your house. All right. I come into your house. I go down into, uh, uh, into your office area. You've got a computer on, but the screensaver's on. Yes. And I go to move the mouse and you're behind me about uh, two feet away going, no, 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 don't touch that. And I move the mouse anyway. Uh, granted, I probably would do that, but I would also, I'm not sure I would want to see the porn that you have on the screen at the time that you're trying to hide from me. <laughs> so it'd be a tough call. But if I wanted to fuck with you, I would move the mouse anyway. Okay. I see your point. If you wanted to fuck with me. Um, She she obviously heard him say no, 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 no. Uh, And she did it anyway. It just, uh, I mean, I sure the need is there to want to see the porn. I mean, to talk on the radio to a new person. mm -hmm. But 
you still would pay attention to someone that is saying no behind you, that you know who they are. And if they're, they're saying no, they're saying no for a reason and you're in their space. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it seemed like she could have not talked on the radio and uh, maybe saved the situation. Ask him, you know, why not? And he could explain, oh, it's her. She doesn't want to know. Doesn't want uh, it's Stephanie. She doesn't want anybody to know that we're having conversations. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a secret. Shh. Okay, fine. You know what? I can see your point, but what Eugene should have done then is said, no, 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 don't respond. Like just saying, no, 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 no. Maybe Rosita wasn't clear what the no was referring to. Well, maybe he's a little too freaked out to be able to articulate anything other than no, 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 no. Yeah. That's a good point too. So, you know, you know, would you, if I was about to move the mouse, would you say, no, don't touch my porn? No, you just say no, 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 right? Because you don't want to necessarily tell me what not to do because I would probably do it anyway in that case. Basically just don't do anything. Stop where you are. <laughs> yeah. And it's important to remember that, you know, shut down the porn or at least minimize the windows before you walk away from the computer. Always clear your browser cache, people. <laughs> uh, yeah. Or the browser cache or whatever, but, uh, no, just don't leave it up. You know, if I had to, if I had a nickel for every time I come, come down to my computer and go, oh shit, I left the porn on, uh, you know, I, well, it'd be my nickel. So I'd have exactly the same amount of money I'd have to begin with, but, but it might still be a lot. It's still, it's, it's not never happened. Let's say. <laughs> Perfect. All right. We don't need to talk anymore about that. Moving on. Uh, in any case, uh, Rosita does respond and Eugene is upset. We cut out into the woods and Negan and uh, Alpha are talking, and he says that they should get Alexandria and Hilltop to surrender instead of destroying them. Uh, and I guess Alpha at the time thinks that's an okay idea. Uh, we'll find out more about that later. For now, mm. we go to Yumiko back at Hilltop. She sends a couple of characters named Felix and Penny out to scout for the Whisperer Horde. And as they leave... Inside Hilltop, everyone's discussing what to do. They debate running away or staying and fighting. And ultimately, they decide to pack up and go to Oceanside and regroup there. Because why not go over to Oceanside if the Horde is coming to Hilltop? Get the hell out of there. Yeah. Put your back up against the sea. That's what you need. That's what you need. Exactly. Um, Speaking of which, on our way home from this trip, we're going to make a stop at, or at least the plan now is to make a stop at Jekyll Island where they film the beach scenes. I may, I may have mentioned that last time, but uh, that'll that'll be fun. So I'm looking forward to uh, checking out Driftwood Beach, which we've seen on the show. So I'll report on that more later, maybe. Well, yeah. Isn't that where, where we saw the Driftwood Zombies? It is, yeah. And where we saw cool. the, the militia practicing and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, watch out for stuff. driftwood zombies while you're there. Boy. I will. I will. I'll try to get a picture if I see one. Yeah, and then run. And then run, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we see them packing up the kids and everybody into wagons to leave for Oceanside. Judith says she wants to stay and fight, but Daryl won't let her, of course. And as they're standing around, Carol and Ezekiel return, but Daryl doesn't go to talk to them at this moment. It's just nice to see them come back. Mm-hmm. Out on the road, the caravan on its way to Oceanside comes to a downed tree, which has formed a roadblock. They find Felix and Penny hung from the trees and reanimated, hanging there. So those two didn't last very long. Uh, Daryl realizes that all the roads will be blocked, and he recognizes this as Negan's handiwork. So this was kind of fun, I thought. They sort of flashed back to when... 
you know, Rick and the gang were trying to get somewhere and we were basically introduced to Simon. Remember all the roads were blocked yeah. and then he had a standoff with Simon. So, uh, that was pretty fun. And I think a clever, uh, sort of a clever story point to have, um, Daryl realize that this is Negan's handiwork and now Negan is with the whisperers. Yeah. Just, this is the second time I thought I found an Easter egg. Uh, that the show then blatantly said, this is what it is. So when Carol was at uh, Daryl's old camp, as soon as I saw the camp, I'm like, hey, that's Daryl's old camp. That's really, that's kind of neat, a uh, neat little Easter egg where Carol's yeah. hanging out. And then uh, Ezekiel says, this is Daryl's old camp. I'm like, ah, you just kind of blatantly said what I was thinking and excited about. And then this thing happened. It was like, oh, there's a roadblock. I'm like, hey, this is what Negan did before. And then he said, oh, this is what Negan did. It's like, fuck. It's the second time. Bastards <laughs> well, just blatantly outed what I was excited about finding I mean, so, secretly. So what, what you're saying is the show doesn't need to be so obvious about this stuff. They're doing a good job of of showing us things instead of telling us things, except they're telling us anyways. Yeah. I mean, you know, granted, I might be paying attention a little bit more than the standard viewer, but Maybe. probably not. Really? <laughs> probably not. If there's one thing I know about you, <laughs> you're probably exactly. like doing something else while you're watching too. I've, I don't know. I can't remember the last time I actually just watched something. Even Walking Dead? Doing something else. Uh, I try not to. I really, really try not to. But then all of a sudden I find myself not looking at the screen. I'm like, come on, pay attention. But it's only like a half a second at a time. But uh, sure. yeah, I, I, it's, it's, uh. It's something I'm working on, let's say. We take a commercial break and we return to Hilltop. They realize now that they've missed their opportunity to escape. Diane says that nobody from Alexandria or Oceanside can get there in time, so they're on their own. They have this horde of zombies coming and they're all on their own. Uh, Earl, he says that they have the resources, but it will be the fight of their lives to try and, you know, fend off this big giant zombie attack slash whisperer attack. Right. We, we go over to Ezekiel. He's opening a trunk up in his room. Carol comes to see him. It turns out that the trunk is, it contains Henry's old like gear and armor and stuff like that. Uh, Carol sees the lump on his throat and he admits to her to having cancer. And so she kisses him. They end up kind of on the bed together and we cut away to another scene. So let me see if I got this straight. Okay. Carol walks into a room. Yes. Uh, her her ex-husband is there. Correct. She sees a trunk full of her dead son's stuff, sees her ex-husband with a, a, a lump on his neck that he says is cancer, and this all gets her randy. Well, I have a feeling that <laughs> she was or, feeling, or, wait, yeah, feeling be, a little randy before she walked into the room. Right. And none of that deterred her from that. It's like, no, I'm getting laid. I don't give a shit what happens. Uh, you know, the bed could be covered in horse feces for all I give a shit. We're doing this. I mean, that's sort of what happened. You know, I think she's grateful for that, that he came to see her and bring her back to Hilltop. Um, I'm not saying that's why she was there to, to do it, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like she, she thinks she's, or she's been through a lot lately and she needed some comfort and came to him for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, when it boils down to it, they're consenting adults, whatever. 
Yeah, of course. It is funny that they're lying down to have sex and the next shot is a baby. Well, yeah, the next shot is is Mary, or the baby, and Mary coming to see Adam. Uh, but she's intercepted by Alden. And uh, Aaron comes in. He says it can't hurt to let her see the kid. But Alden is adamant, and he grabs Adam and takes him away. That's really kind of weird. That baby that was there, uh, that baby's eye colors eye color is almost exactly the same as Jasper's. Yeah? Yeah, it's really kind of weird. Maybe Jasper's are a little darker, but this is pretty close. Okay, well, that's good. Maybe Jasper has a future in baby acting. Uh, maybe. He's a little older now. Sure. More yeah, of toddler true. acting, and uh, I don't think he's quite... Uh, let's just say he wouldn't pay attention or do what is asked of him consistently. Got it. Okay. <laughs> maybe maybe he'll have to work on that a little bit. Yeah, he, we're working on it. All right. Well, we go back to Ezekiel and Carol. They are now post-sex, and they're kind of joking around a little bit. She says he's lost... Uh, he says that she's lost her sense of humor, but he's lost his pride. They agree that it was all lost at the kingdom when it, you know, burned down or whatever. And they, they share a laugh about having sex because they might die tonight. <laughs> Always something to joke about after doing it. Yep. Well, I mean, with all those, you know, happy hormones flowing through your system at that point, I mean, sure, you can joke about anything. Yeah, of course. Outside, Eugene is setting up something with a whole whack load of car batteries. I didn't know what it was at the time, but we'll get to that. Uh, Rosita shows up and says that she heard from Father Gabe that Coco is fine, so that's good. Uh, says that she did not tell Father Gabe about the horde. I guess she didn't want to worry him. And then they chat about the woman on the radio. Eugene says that they haven't spoke since, you know, Rosita responded. and. She says that, you know, she must like him. And then she invites Eugene to kiss her. Uh, he leans in, gets very close, suddenly stops, and says that it's weird to want to kiss somebody or want a kiss from somebody that he's never met. And uh, Rosita basically tells him that you got to get off your ass and go get her because clearly you like her and she likes you. Yeah. And in my humble experience, when a girl looks at you, and says, kiss me when you're talking about a third party. Yeah. It's a trap. It's always a trap. Okay. So I, mean, I knew right from then that she wasn't coming on to him, you know, even though she's that kind of person because she's had relationships with multiple people in the past. And then even Eugene was allowed to watch sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wouldn't put it past her character, but just because of the context, I'm like, it's a trap. Don't kiss her. It's a trap. Don't kiss her. I mean, what's... And she didn't close her eyes. She didn't lean in. She didn't do anything. She just sat there and waited for him to fall into his own trap. Okay, so, but what's her what's her goal here with asking him to kiss her? Like, what's she trying to get out of him? She's trying to get him to recognize his, uh, uh, his feelings for... Uh, I forgot her name. Stephanie. S Stephanie. I was going to go with Suzanne. Uh for Stephanie and that, you know, he had previously pr professed his love for Rosita. I guess she wanted to prove to uh, Eugene that he was over that. Like he no longer has those feelings for Rosita. Those feelings are for Stephanie. I mean, so how is that a trap? Like is trap the right word or is she trying to help him out? Like realize uh, something. Let's go with manipulation, right? 
instead of telling him what uh, she's thinking, she is trying to uh, use uh, something else to prove it to him, uh, prove to him his own feelings. So it, it is, it's a form of manipulation. But you know, it sounds kiss like me with... when you don't mean it is, uh, is manipulation. Sure, fair enough. But it sounds like with good intentions, getting him to realize yeah. his, his current state and feelings and stuff like that. It's still a crappy thing to do. I guess right? so, but it, it, it could have, it, the, the, the goal is a good outcome, right? Sort of, she's doing this as a friend to him and saying like, here's how you really feel and here's how you should act. So I'm just saying it might not, it's not necessarily a terrible thing she's doing. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of this kind of thing though. Oh, I, do this. I hear you. Okay. Anyways, I, I guess he realizes what she's or he, he starts to buy what she's selling and he does not kiss her and then uh, realizes that he has to go and do what he can to win Stephanie back. Yep. So it all worked out. <laughs> sort of. I guess so. Right? Okay. <laughs> um, we cut over to Lydia. She's sitting there at Hilltop and she's looking at an engraving of H plus L that I guess her and Henry made at one point. Carol approaches, sits down and says Lydia must hate her. Uh, Lydia says it's hard to hate you carol because you hate yourself so much and they talk about killing alpha or carol starts talking about killing alpha and how good it's going to feel and she wonders if lydia will hate her then but lydia has a great response and says i won't be thinking about you <laughs> which it's right it, that reminds me of that don draper uh quote from the, near the end of mad men where he's in an elevator and uh and you know, one of the junior guys gets in and says something or asks him a question. And Don's answer is, you know, I don't think about you at all. Basically just yeah. not even acknowledging him in any way. I felt like yeah. that was kind of what was going on here. Um, but ultimately they chat a little bit more and Lydia realizes that they, I think her and Carol have both, both lost their families and really anything of their former lives. And I thought in a strange way that these two characters actually bonded a little bit in this, in this scene because they realized what they've both lost over the years. Lydia never, you know, she lost her, her family and never really had a mother that would give her what she wanted. You know, Carol has lost a lot of people in her life, including her son. So I feel like these two sort of started to understand each other a little bit in this scene. I, yeah. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what that means exactly. Um, but I did find it interesting. So they're, they're probably nowhere. Probably. Well, I, yeah, I guess their, their, their histories are more alike than, than they thought before. So I think the show will do something interesting with that. Okay. We cut over to, you know, people outside setting up these like zombie barriers. Uh, they look like mostly posts with spikes in them. Uh, Yumiko and Kelly are talking about winning this fight and they suddenly see loads of rats coming out of the forest and realize that this must mean the horde is coming. Well, which I thought was kind of silly because, well, first of all, would rats really behave that way? Run away from a horde like that without well, any other animals around? Isn't it a known thing that like rats run away from floods and stuff like that. You know, if you see a bunch of rats suddenly appear somewhere, it could be because where they used to live is now flooded. I, I don't know. The only time I've ever seen uh, rats run away from something on mass has been a, uh, a supernatural event in TV or something. 
I'm not sure rats actually behave this way. They might scatter. They might burrow. Uh, mm-hmm. They might not give a shit at all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, maybe you know, not. Running out, out of uh, out of the woods like this in order to escape uh, a horde, uh, it, it was kind of really it was kind of cheap storytelling in my mind. Well, okay. I mean, Adam in Texas wrote in though and said, "Holy crap! Did you see the horde of rats running from the horde of walkers?" Very creepy visual. And I think maybe that's what they were going for. Just the creepiness of like hundreds of rats suddenly appearing out of nowhere out of the forest and then knowing what's coming behind them. But I get your point. It might not be that realistic, but uh, yeah, you know what? They were being chased by zombies. So what are you going to do? I, I also got the, the impression that it was hundreds of rat. Like they were all pretty uniform in color. Oh. So they're probably all the same rat, just <laughs> copy and pasted. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that is one giant group of rat right there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. It, maybe it's the same rat, but in, in different timelines. Of course, right? yes. If we bring time travel in here, it could be uh, this, this time traveling rat that uh, just converged on this time and space and said, shit, we got to go. That is or, hilarious. Or I got to go. Let, let's all of, let's go, us, me. <laughs> I think only you could... Uh, come to a time traveling slash parallel time frame conclusion when you see a group of rats on screen. Incidentally, I wonder what a group of rats is called. Um, a herd? No, I don't know. Herd? But uh, rats. <laughs> it's, just, it's just rats, isn't it? A shitload of Look, rats. Rats. <laughs> uh, there's got to be a word for it. Someone will let us know what a group of rats is called. Yeah. After a commercial break, though, we come back and Eugene's up in his radio tower. This time he starts singing into the mic, which is what Stephanie wanted him do, to do before. And as he's doing this, we basically fade between various characters preparing for this big fight, practicing with weapons, things like that. We see Ezekiel giving Henry's armor to Lydia. So that was a nice little scene, I thought. And, uh... I got a couple more holy craps here. Jack on the internet wrote, did you hear Eugene singing? Wow, that was awful. Which I don't know if I agree with. I thought he did an okay Isn't he job. a singer? He's a singer as no. well as an actor, isn't he? No, Josh McDermott. Not not that I know of. Not a singer, I don't think. Oh, with a name like Josh McDermott, he's got he's to be a singer. Maybe a country singer. I thought singer. he had an album. I thought he had an album. Anyway. I don't think so. I could be wrong. Mark in Yorkshire, England wrote, the song Eugene sang in the last episode was... Where the Wild Wind Blows by Iron Maiden. As a huge fan, I was thrilled to hear my favorite band on my favorite show. However, the song came out in August 2010, probably the month the outbreak started since Rick woke up in the hospital in October 2010. So I don't know if that's just an accident, but I think it's a neat little Easter egg that uh, probably nobody but Mark in Yorkshire, England picked up on. Yeah, I, I think they probably lucked out that this, this didn't come out in like 2012 or something after the, the outbreak. Because that, that seems like the kind of thing that uh, that would get, you know, missed on it, continuity. It might, yeah, it might. But it was uh, it was just before the uh, outbreak technically started. So good nice. for them. Uh, I like you, it when they do uh, genre bending on songs like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do when too. they take a song and they, uh, you know, it's a kind of a heavy song. I have never heard the, the original version, but I just, the concept of taking something that is heavier and uh, making it uh, a ballad kind of thing, it, that kind of stuff really appeals to me. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go look up the original tune as well, 
because I'm curious about what it sounds like recorded, and I wonder if there are actual covers out there of it. I mean, who knows? Maybe Josh McDermott has recorded a version of this. You never know. It'll be on the Walking Dead Season 10 soundtrack. Sorry, did you say it was Iron Maiden? Originally an Iron Maiden song? Correct, Iron Maiden. When the wild wind blows. Nice. Iron Maidens weren't real, by the way. Like, they weren't real torture devices. They were made up by some dude doing an art thing. Well, either way, good band name. Caught on. It's a very good band name. Yeah. Well, it's very, you know, Guns N' Roses, Iron Maiden, Clockwork Orange, Led Zeppelin. You know, it's uh, a juxtaposition of incongruities, right? It always works. Or Iron Lung, which was a band name of uh, a friend of mine in the Sioux years and years ago, taking that same concept. But also a real thing in the case of Iron Lungs, right? Oh, yeah. Iron Lungs are real. Yeah, so, okay. Well, Iron Maiden, I mean, it was a real thing, but they weren't really used for torture devices back in the medieval times. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, Eugene finishes up singing though, and Stephanie comes back on the radio and she finishes the song, which is very nice. And Eugene, of course, is very happy. He compliments her singing chops. They apologize to each other, talk a little bit about Rosita. And uh, Stephanie gives Eugene a location in Charleston, West Virginia to meet in one week time. And uh, this is, of course, very exciting to him. Uh, He ends the conversation just as Rosita comes up again to ask if he's ready for this. And Eugene says, let's get it over with because I got a date. (laughs) (laughs) So good guy. Good good for him. We see Ezekiel and Daryl preparing for the fight. They're talking and they agree that they're both strong fighters. Um, you know, and, and Daryl makes a point here to sort of say that they haven't really talked much before. And I guess that's probably true. These two characters haven't shared a lot of time on screen together. Uh, but at this point they agree that if one of them goes down, the other's job is to get the kids out safely. Nice. Nice to have a plan. Turns out Judith was watching them and you know, after um, Ezekiel leaves, she chats with Daryl, says she wants to help and fight. They talk about Felix and Penny, and she says, I've seen lots of walkers before. That's no big deal to see them. Uh, Judith says to Daryl that she's not scared, but if she was, it might be for RJ, or she might be scared that Daryl would get hurt, things like that. So she's wise beyond her years. Oh, is she ever, man. But at the same time, this has struck me as the kind of thing a kid her age would say, right? I'm not scared. Everything's fine. But if I was, it would be for RJ or for you or for somebody else. But I'm doing fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Smart. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, and then she gives Daryl a new angel wing vest that she made for him. And he then makes her promise to go with Ezekiel if he comes to her at any time during the fight. Um, I thought the new vest looked fantastic. And it's not a new vest. Well, it's, it's re- his vest. Repainted. With the, with, yeah, repainted wing. Okay, fair enough. But, you know, re- refreshed or... Uh, <laughs> what's the other word? Uh, uh, yeah. Refurbished. Re- refurbished vest. There you go. Yeah. I thought it looked great on him. It was fun to see him wear that again. You know, good stuff. We see Carol looking at all those paintings. Now, was it Tara that was doing those paintings? I forget. I, 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 I think I, it was, but someone's going to call me out on that if it's not correct. But she's looking at all these paintings on the wall, and including Henry's, of course, which is dead center. Um, and that's her way of like 
getting prepared, I suppose. Outside, she comes to Daryl, who's now standing amongst a bunch of graves, and she asks him not to hate her, and he says that he would never be able to hate her. He never will. Yeah. So they've kind of made a little piece here too before we go into this this big battle. Yeah, it's important to uh, to forgive and forget before you all die. <laughs> it is. It really is. So now it's nighttime. Daryl is walking toward the gate. As he goes, he picks up a mace. No. We get, what is it? It doesn't pick up a, it's a morning star. So that's a, a handle with a chain and a spiky ball on the end? That's right. That's what a morning star is. Okay. Glad That's you're where here. we get the title of the show. The mace would be a single piece. A morning star is this oh. uh, is a knobby thing on a chain. Okay, right. Morning star. Good. That makes the title of the episode make more sense for me. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Good. Now, we get lots of shots of most of our characters. Some in slow mo, which I thought looked really awesome. The militia is lined up behind a wall of these like zombie catchers that they've set up. Kelly reaches down to touch the ground, feeling for vibrations, I guess. And she yep. looks up and nods that the horde is coming. So uh, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Before we get into uh, all this, um, you have yourself a walled community. You have these sturdy walls around them. You have a fortified, defensible, defensive position. With a killing field all the way around, you have, uh, you know, various levels of uh, defenses. Uh, so what do you do? You leave and you go stand in front of your fortifications uh, and have a fight. It was just, it's, it's bad strategy, bad tactics. Well, I, I get what you're saying. Um, but the fact that they, they set up this secondary sort of outer defense, I think was smart, wasn't it? Like the yes, more, the more but let the defensive do the, let the defensive works do their job, right? Don't go out there and do stuff and then get yourself trapped. Anyway, I just, I thought it was a bad, I, as soon as I saw this, I'm like, why did they leave the walls? What's the point of the walls if you're just going to fucking leave them behind? Well, I think, I think what they were going for is they, they thought they needed to take out as many of the intruders as they could before they got to the walls, because then they'd just be mashed up against the walls, pushing them over. Whereas. Yeah, but they, they specifically mentioned that they have catapults on the walls. They have bows and arrows. They have slingshots. They have spears or javelins that they could throw. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I really didn't see the point. Yeah. Of Earl, putting all these people in danger for uh, a reason I couldn't quite fathom. Earl does mention catapults earlier in the episode. That's true. But I think they also have this militia that's trained for this close combat. So if they're all inside the walls, isn't the militia then kind of wasted because they're in there doing nothing? Sure. That, you know, best case scenario. Awesome. <laughs> like get, that sounds fantastic to me. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, if worse comes to worse and the walls breached, then you got yourself a militia inside the walls to help do that final defense. You know, why put your people in danger when you don't have to? When you have defensive works, you use them. Even in, uh, when you play any any game like Risk, or not even like Risk, but like uh, uh, Civilization, let's say. If you're, if you're dug in, it takes uh, three times uh, the offensive force to defeat a dug-in position. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a force multiplier. So they took their force multiplier and just threw it out the window. 
Right. I get what you're saying. That didn't occur to me while watching it, though, to be honest. Well, that's uh, because, you know, the writers were like, wouldn't it be cool? I mean, we had these shields at the beginning of the season. Let's uh, let's show the shields. And then they needed the drama. I mean, we're going to get there, but they needed the drama. And if they were all inside the walls, it wouldn't be as dramatic and they wouldn't be trapped between a rock and a horde. I know, a flame, a flame wall and a horde, but we'll get there. And uh, anyway, yeah, I just, totally. right at this very moment, I'm like, bullshit. Like, this is bad tactics. Yeah. Well, okay. So they have a well-trained militia, just no good tactical analysis person. That must be what they're missing. We take a commercial break and we come back. Of course, the zombies are approaching. They start hitting an electrified fence. So this is what Eugene was building with all those car batteries. Uh, it slices some of the zombies up, but the fence itself doesn't last too long because I guess there's just too many of them. But I thought this was a kind of a cool idea. Electrify a fence. I don't know if it would just carve zombies in half like that, but... Well, against zombies, what were, what were they thinking? Like, seriously, I mean, you yeah. got to cut their heads off or bash their heads in, or they're, they're just going to walk up against this, this thing. Sure. It's going to start electrical sparks and maybe set a couple of the zombies on fire, but it's a, it's a, a horde. They're going to be pushing up against this thing. It's going to fall. Yeah. And you know, it happened to kill a couple of zombies, but was it really worth the effort to kill two zombies? Well, let's assume it was more than that. I think it was a neat idea anyways. Like it was cutting them at chest height. So you yeah. know, a zombie cut in half at chest height is sort of a useless zombie at that point because all it is is a head and neck and maybe some half arms on the ground at that point. Yeah. Okay, an electrical wire I could see against a human, a bunch of humans. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can, or, or, you know, even really good against a bunch of cows or maybe right. some llamas, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that'll really keep those cows and llamas in line. Yeah. But against zombies, I really didn't see the uh, the purpose of that. Now, if they had... You know, a monofilament wire. You know what a uh, monofilament wire is? It's a wire so thin that it just slices between the atoms of uh, things. Yep. Right? So it just it's it's like a lightsaber that is made out of really, really thin wire. It just cuts you in half, right? So you put that down at leg level, and uh, all the zombies just, you know, lose all their feet. And then you have, like, uh, a thousand zombies with no feet. I mean, <laughs> sure, it's not, you know, the best defense, but at least they don't have any feet. Sure. It. it I mean, it, it hinders them quite a big, quite, quite well, I would say, you know, from yeah. walking. Uh, anyways, it was a pretty cool visual and, you know, fun, fun to watch, I thought. Uh, but of course the fence doesn't last long. As I said, the militia then approaches and starts killing zombies at, I guess, like another barricade they have set up. This one was all like, I don't know, barbed wire and, and so on. And they were, you know, stabbing them through that barricade uh, and they also split into two groups because apparently that's what the horde is doing. So right. trying to take out as many as possible. So when in doubt, divide your forces. Divide your forces, right. <laughs> I had a problem with the tactics in this episode. Uh, I, I clearly, I see that now. Yes, yes. Uh, but they start killing all these zombies at this fence. There's lots of killing. Again, some good slow motion, which I thought looked really cool. Everybody... You know, all the characters we know get some really good kills in, but eventually they realize that the fence isn't going to hold. So this isn't really going so well for everybody. Well, they uh, had to know that too, right? Like they had to know that the fence wasn't a, a permanent defense. Right. So at some point you know, you're saying- If we learned anything from- Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you're just, you're just saying at some point they would have to 
they knew this, so they knew they were going to have to retreat at some point back into Hilltop behind the real walls. Yeah. 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 If we've learned anything from Game of Thrones, it's that uh, your outer defenses don't last forever against an undead horde. Yes, that's very true. Yeah. Um, somewhere else nearby, though, in the forest, Beta is there, and he has a team, and he orders his team to slingshot pouches of their tree sap that they collected at the beginning. It, it slingshots into the battlefield, explodes all over everything, all over our characters, and then the whispers follow up with flaming arrows, which ignites everything on fire. And I was wondering about this, but Noop J and Dallas wrote in and said, holy crap, Christmas tree bombs. The resin must be heated to liquid form so it can be applied to the material. Avoid heating the resin in a shallow container over an open flame because the flames from the fire can easily ignite the resin, which is highly flammable. So apparently you can make flammable material out of collected tree sap. Okay, I had three problems with this. <laughs> okay, <laughs> problem the first. <laughs> uh, they weren't Christmas trees that they were getting the sap out of. Uh, well, no, they weren't but even, uh, Jerry says they sm it smells like Christmas trees just because it was yeah. like sap smell. Yeah, but there's a difference between like oak sap and pine sap, right? Well, yeah, but who knows I the assume difference. so. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Okay. I don't, I just, I don't think the inside of a freshly cut down oak tree smells like a Christmas tree to me. Okay, fine. But it smells like a tree and, and maybe that's all it takes for Jerry. I don't know. I think, I think we, what we needed in this, this whole episode, I think, uh, uh, prioritized visuals over what actually should have happened. Right, like with the the electric fence, it was a good visual. That's fine. Mm -hmm. The uh, the militia coming out from behind the uh, out, out from behind the protective walls in order to have this battle, uh, you know, visually it looked fantastic. We had the shields, we had uh, you know combat in a field, all visually great. Bad tactics, so just uh, there was all kinds of things that uh, went for the dramatic visual effect rather than the uh, the actual what should have happened. And in this case, they couldn't describe, uh, you know, this, what was going on here. All we had from the beginning of the episode was, uh, you know, sap being <laughs> poured into containers from trees. Uh, but we didn't know what that was for or what was happening. Having someone say, it smells like Christmas trees, gives us all the feeling. We all know generally what Christmas trees smell like, and we know at that moment it's sap, right? Christmas trees smell like sap, yep. and we all know that smell. We couldn't say, "Oh, it smells like oak tree sap," right? It's just it just it's a bad line to describe what's going on. So it's a better line, even though it does not describe what the smell should smell like. No, but it reminded the goal. The purpose was to remind you of, of yes. the sap collecting earlier because I'd forgotten all yeah. about it. And I'm like, what the hell are they, what the hell are they catapulting at these people? That's just blowing up in flames like this. Oh, it's the yeah. tree sap. Now I didn't understand why tree sap was doing that, but I do now apparently because well, of Newt that's why you can't throw a, you know, a, a, a fresh two by four in, into a fire. Cause that thing will just pop and snap and spit at you and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, because the sap is you know, very combustible, combustible. Right. I, okay. just, I think that the, uh, the line that they used 
was more along uh, the lines of telling us what we should smell rather than what he smelled. You know, it wasn't true to realism. It was strictly said to give us the information that we needed as the audience. So right. I just, it's, 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 uh, it's form over function. It's, uh, you know, giving us information that this whole, a lot of this episode has been giving us uh, visuals over, uh, you know, actual tactics uh, and giving us information that wasn't real in order to elicit an emotional response or, you know, a logical response. So uh, that was the first problem. Okay. The second problem is that the elastic bands that they used to throw these things wouldn't throw, uh, I assume that these were like about a liter each, maybe half a liter. Sure. Which uh, weighs about a pound or so maybe. Yep. Uh, <laughs> those elastic bands wouldn't throw a, a pound of anything more than like five or six feet. <laughs> let alone over the treetops <laughs> and over the horde all the way to, uh, you know, our, our battle that's raging on. Okay. It's just, once once again, was, good visual. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it would have been more realistic if they threw them and they flew that far because it's about the uh, force that they would be applying to it. Right. It's the same as someone getting a good baseball throw and going, whew, and thing going woo over the trees. It's like, man, that guy could really throw far. <laughs> anyway. Uh, okay. And how did they get the, uh, the, the sap onto the walls? Uh, we'll get there. Uh, but I had a problem because the sap was all landing on the battle. So, you know, excellent aim. Well, uh, it was, I guess the third issue is that they had fantastic aim and ranging of these, uh, indirect attacks. They they really did have good aim. I'll give you that for sure. It it they it seemed like they all landed perfectly. Yeah, even though they could not see what they were shooting at, right? They were behind a tree line. I guess shooting so, over yeah. the trees. They did. It didn't seem clear to me that they could see what they were doing. So you're right. It seemed like they were farther away than maybe they really were. Anyways, um, right. We're getting close to the end here. Negan and Alpha. We get one more scene with them. He says. Uh, you know, that they were, we were supposed to make them surrender so that they would join us. And Alpha says they will, but as part of my horde, not as living people. So she just wants to kill everyone, turn them into zombies and have her join, have them join the horde. Uh, Negan comments that this is super badass. <laughs> so, but even not yeah. what he was expecting. Well, I was hoping that, uh, well, I was thinking that Negan was trying to be the voice of reason. And uh -huh. maybe even trying to manipulate Alpha into not killing his friends. Uh, so why she didn't see through this, I have no idea. Yeah, that's like, a that's a good point. It's like, but, oh no, let's not kill them. Let's uh, let's just have them join us. Uh, you know, you know, we don't need to kill them. And then she, if she did see through it, then she just said, "Well, they'll join us as the horde." And what else is he going to say? He's got to lean all the way in in order to not seem like an idiot at that point. So of course he has to say that's badass. He does. Yeah, no, he, he has to support her at this point. I mean, this was all his idea. I mean, not all of it, but, uh, you know, the way it was portrayed on the show, it's like, this was kind of his thing. Like we're going to attack them and make them surrender and join us. But then, uh, Alpha had her own ideas. So 
Um, you can use this against her. Like uh, Negan can use this this mentality against her, right? She is the uh, she is the alpha. She is in charge of uh, all of the whispers. Her word is the law. It is the the word of God come down. Uh, this it absolutely has to be done uh, when she says to do something. So if Negan does something that uh, uh, everybody thinks is what she told him to do and takes it off into a different direction, she has to uh, lean into that. She has to say, yes, that was my idea. Mm -hmm. Because saying, no, he didn't do what I asked is a admission of weakness. And she can't have that. that. She can't have that. So this, uh, this level of control that she thinks she has over the whisperers can be used against her. And I hope they do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I can see that. No, she can't have weakness. She's got to remain strong and she's got everyone brainwashed pretty good, but, and she doesn't, For some she can't reason. lose that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Just finally, before the end here, we get, uh, back on the battlefield, Daryl and Aaron, they order everyone to retreat back inside as the fence gives way and all the zombies start coming in more whisperer flaming arrows. This time though, goes over the, the people and they ignite the hilltop walls on fire. So now all of our heroes are trapped between oncoming zombies slash whisperers and Hilltop on fire. We get a final shot of Daryl staring at the flaming walls with his, you know, angel wings on his back to the camera, the end. So it seems like everyone is in a pretty bad situation right here. And uh, we don't know what's going to go on. Um, so we'll find out uh, on the next episode, but uh, it doesn't look good for everybody at Hilltop. They seem to be between a zombie rock and a flaming wall. Hard place. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how how much strength it takes to draw a longbow, like a medieval, a true medieval longbow? Well, no, but I imagine quite a bit. Quite a bit. Like it takes special training and uh, a bunch of people working out and building a lot of upper body strength in order to shoot arrows, uh, any kind of distance in a battle. Uh, so these, you know, the whispers, they built these bows. They looked like compound bows because they had, you know, weird angles, but they weren't compound bows. They were just regular bows and they weren't even real long bows. They were kind of medium sized bows. Uh, the amount of strength it would take to shoot these arrows over the trees, over the, the battle and hit the walls would be phenomenal. Like the, the fact that, uh, that they did this, I think is, uh, like we're talking Captain America level strength here. That's pretty good. It's amazing that. that they have that many Captain Americas on the team. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's absolutely amazing that this battle went, went this way. Okay. For the, for the, for the whispers. Well, I don't know how you feel despite all your, your problems with, with this episode, but I really liked it. Um, I thought it had all kinds of great, uh, like character stuff leading up to the battle, you know, interactions between people and little discussions here and there, some callbacks to old stuff. I thought, you know, I mean, you've kind of started to ruin it for me, but I thought the battle scene was actually pretty <laughs> amazing. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought this was one of the better ones Walking Dead has done, despite the tactics problems, the tactical problems. Um, yeah, it's, it is a tactical issue and not a, a visual or storytelling issue. I, I guess, I guess I have to be clear on that. I also sort of enjoyed the, uh, uh, the battle. Like uh-huh. I felt visually it was, it was, it was well done. It's just, my brain kept saying, come on, 
Come on. Sure. Yeah, but it's you can, sometimes thing. you got to put that, tamp that down a little bit. But I know not everyone can do, do that. Do I? But, well, okay, maybe you don't. But in any case, right. I, I liked it. I thought it was great to have, a, a, in my opinion, a good episode back after a few less than stellar ones in a row here. So I was feeling really good about this one. Um, I thought they did a great job. So good, good on Walking Dead, at least from my opinion, or from my point of view, I mean. I absolutely applaud. I absolutely applaud that the episode was called Morning Star and they had an actual Morning Star in it. Perfect. And I didn't even realize that. So good for them. <laughs> and thank you. Usually when they name things like Morning Star like this, what they mean is the, uh, the last star you see in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There you go. <laughs> so once I saw the night show up, I thought maybe that, uh, this battle would take place all night and then it would end in the morning. And that's why it was called morning star. Actually then I saw Daryl pick up, picked up a morning star and I'm like, all right. I'm actually kind of surprised that isn't how it went actually, but the battle's not over and people are in trouble. So a pretty good cliffhanger at the end, I thought too. And it's nice that we're going to get resolution you know, in the next episode, I certainly hope. I'd be, it'd be crazy. Well, would, no, no, next step. No, next step. How many episodes do we have left? Uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, five. Oh, wow. Okay. So the next episode is going to be all underground again. Oh God, I hope not. I want, I want some resolution to this one before we go back underground or out to sea with Michonne. Re we, yeah, well, they've got to step away from this for at least an episode. I don't think they're going to resolve this next, unless you've seen the trailer for next week already. Actually, I haven't. So I don't know for sure. No. Yeah. So, you know, typical storytelling is, uh, you, if you have multiple storylines, you wrap, ramp up one storyline to a, uh, uh, a dramatic peak, and then you cut away to another storyline and you ramp that up to a dramatic peak and then you cut back to the other storyline or you go to a third and you keep ramping these storylines up to a dramatic peak and then cutting away from it. Uh, that's what they're doing. They ramp this up to a dramatic peak and then they're going to cut away for it for an episode. Okay, well, that'll upset me a little bit, but you may be right, because that does sound like the kind of thing that TV shows might do. I wasn't watching the clock, and I wasn't watching the timing on the uh, on the episode, uh, and when the battle was just starting and everybody was standing, uh, you know, the militia was standing ready to receive the horde, and they started coming out of the woods, mm -hmm. and it faded to commercial, I thought for sure that was the end of the episode. I'm like, you sons of bitches. And then it came back. I'm like, okay, good. Okay, good. So they didn't totally disappoint in that regard. But that would be typical of The Walking Dead to do that. It might be. It might be. But I think they handled it pretty well this time. And I'm looking forward to it. You know, I felt satisfied with this episode and yeah. really looking forward to the next one. So that's good. That's really all I'm, you can ask I'm for. looking forward. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the, you know, three episodes from episodes from now when we get resolution to this storyline. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, in any case, we'll get to it at some point. Um, yeah. We got to wrap up for this evening. It's already getting late here, but uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode as well. And even though there's going to be no feedback necessarily for this, send in your emails and your comments. Maybe we'll get to them on a future uh, podcast. Hopefully we will. Um, and, uh, next week's, next week's going to be the same. I don't know exactly when exactly we will be able to record, uh, just because of my traveling plans and, you know, hopefully not being quarantined somewhere. Uh, but we also probably won't do feedback next week. So I apologize for that, but again, maybe we'll get to it at some point. So, uh, that will be coming over the next week. If you want to send in some comments, please do talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com is the email address 
or visit the website talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail at the top. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. So thank you, Jason. Thank you, Chris. Hopefully this went okay. We will talk soon. And uh, until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.